0: Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show.
1: Nero introduced quantitative easing back in around 63 AD. Now, we've, we've heard about quantitative easing in the last 10 years or so, but Nero was really the first. And what he did was, they, in those days, they didn't have paper currency. They only had um, solid coins. And so what he did was he started to chip away at the amount of copper and gold that was in the coins. And no one really noticed for quite a while. Eventually, they, they worked it out. And when they worked it out, they weren't very happy. But it, it took about 150 years.
2: Hi, it's journalist Caroline Stephen. All the glitters could be gold in this interview with former Deutsche Bank analyst Mike Mangan. As Chris Tate says, to be a student of the share market, you have to be a student of the history of the market. And today we look at the recent history of gold and how it's currently performing. We talk about all sorts of things with Mike, including how gold was the monetary standard until Richard Nixon How the Emperor Nero introduced quantitative easing back in 63 AD, as you just heard from the clip at the beginning of the show, and how the Indian wedding season affects the price of gold. Mike Mangan has been an analyst for Westpac, Prudential Beige, and Deutsche Bank, where he covered the Australian media sector, including Murdoch's News Corporation. And he is now a portfolio manager and an independent investor. I had a lovely interview with Mike on his terrace on a sunny afternoon overlooking Middle Harbour. I don't think I've seen a better view of it. But to start today's show, here is Louise Bedford in Mind Power on Stop Chopping and Changing Your Trading System. Here she is.
0: I received an email from a very intelligent member of my mentor program, somebody with an IT background and who has an amazing eye for detail, and she really surprised me with what she wrote to me. She said that since the mentor program finished for her, it was about 18 months ago, she has been in and out of the market. She has started trading and then stopped again four separate times. She's tried three systems over that time, and she hasn't ever really stuck it out for 20 trades in any system. She has given up before she's had a chance to see her equity bloom. Now, it brings me such pain when I read this, because the market rewards the patient. It rewards the consistent If you are continually chopping and changing the markets that you're entering, your system, your trading plan, you are missing the point of what it takes to be a good trader. You see, almost every time you enter the markets, you'll go through a period of drawdown. What happens is your initial stops get hit first and the profit stop, whether it's a break even or a trailing stop or a windfall profit stop, all of those stops take much longer to react. You're waiting for the trend to unfold and that can take time. Sometimes it can take months. Sometimes it can take years of trading a new system before you're profitable. That instant profit, that feeling that you've got it right from the beginning, that has nothing to do with your future success, with whether you're a good trader, with whether you have the discipline to stick this out. Don't take into account that you've gone into drawdown to make you think that you're a failure. Your initial stops have been hit, but the system hasn't unraveled. It hasn't taken the time that it takes to create profit for you. So expect it. Be aware of it. Know that when you first enter the market, that is when you'll be the most fragile. You'll feel the most fragile and your equity will be the most fragile. It takes a while for this to all come together, for the jigsaw of trading to fit piece by piece into a beautiful masterpiece. So stop chopping and changing. Stick with this. Stick with one system if you're starting. And if you're starting, and it's a beginner that I'm talking to right now, stick with a medium to longer term system. Something that doesn't require as many decisions. Something that you don't have to fly by the seat of your pants and experience all of those emotions. Make sure you've got something that fits you, suits you. You're going to be doing this for life. So don't think that this is a flash in the pan career. This is long term. It means discipline. It means focus. So stop chopping and changing your systems. And you'll be one step closer towards living the trader's life.
1: I'm Bob Pardo from Pardo and Company. I listen to Talking Trading and I enjoy it.
2: Here is a quote from Warren Buffett back in 1998. Gold gets dug out of the ground. Then we melt it down, dig another hole, bury it again, and pay people to stand around guarding it. It has no utility, and anyone watching from Mars would be scratching their heads. But now Buffett has switched from investing in banks to investing in gold. Mike Mangan, hello, and welcome to Talking Trading.
1: Hi, Caroline. How are you? Mike, what is the recent history of gold? Gold used to be the um, the standard for money, and um, that, happened, that was the standard up until about 1971, 72, when Nixon took, uh, took the, uh, the currency off the gold standard and ever since then basically our money has been floating in space and it's, not, it's there's, there's no particular standard for our money. Um, now quite a few of us think that the, we've gone the wrong way and that there should be a standard in the same way that there is a standard for kilograms or meters uh, there should be a standard for money otherwise the temptation to, um, to erode the value of our money is just too great. And I think that's what's been happening over the last... It's been going on for decades. And I think uh, that Buffett quote that you mentioned, I I think he said that recently. Um, Sorry, he said that in the 90s, but I think recently he's realised that the world led by America is going to hell in a handbasket and he needs to protect himself. And so he's edging towards the, the exits and... And unbelievably, for anyone who's followed Buffett, he's actually taking a position in gold, which he's never done before.
2: Gold has recently hit a new high from 2011. What's happening in the markets, and why is gold the fear trade?
1: Well, as you, as you said, Caroline, gold hit a hit a record high in 2011, and then it fell, and it fell quite quite sharply. Uh, I think it went from 1,900 to um, around 1,300, maybe even lower. And then in the last uh, year or so, it's jumped back to to an all-time record high. It's beaten its previous high, and it's gone to as high as uh, 2075. Uh, It's now sort of consolidating. I have a personal view that it'll go a lot higher after this consolidation period uh, for the reasons that uh, I mentioned, and uh, I think Buffett is thinking the same same thing. And the reason is that um, uh, the world has got a lot of uh, problems, and they're both geopolitical, and they're monetary, and they're economic. And it's and it's the combination of those three uh, vectors, if you like, that has come together. And it's got people worried, and they're scared. And when people are scared, they gravitate to something that they understand has held its value for the last 5,000 years, which is gold.
2: You write a fantastic blog each week, and one of your last posts was about the seasonality of gold. Why does gold show such strong seasonality?
1: Caroline, in, in India, there's about um, 25,000 tonnes of gold that have been squirreled away by individual Indian families. Now, just to put that in context, I think in the world there's only about 180,000 tonnes of gold. So something like 10 to 15% of all the gold in the world is squirreled away in India. And what they do with it is they, they, they splurge on weddings And this is where uh, some seasonality comes into it and it it fits in with the agricultural cycle. Because what happens in India is you, through the summer, it's very hot. No one wants to get married in the middle of summer. And besides, you've got to harvest the crops. But by the end of August, the the crops are in. They can judge whether they've done well or not done well. And then for the next six months, they have their weddings. And, And Indian brides love gold. (laughs) <laughs> they drip in it, and they um, and and they and they splurge on it. So right now we're at the beginning of the Indian wedding season, and so we're how that translates into the gold market is that you see seasonally you see um, strength in the gold price between now and say February next year. So we're right at the beginning of that, and um, it's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why I think gold is uh, has got a, a good a good future ahead of it.
2: You were talking at the beginning of the interview about gold being the money standard. Can you go more into the reasons why it is?
1: It, it's, it's partly historical in the fact that it's, it's like the only money that's really held its value for the last 5,000 years, so, and people understand that. Um, but it's also, uh, it's also got some other qu- good qualities. It's only a small amount of it represents a great value. So that's kind of handy, and particularly when there's geopolitical strife, if you want to get out of the country, and you want to hide some gold, it's it's relatively easy to do. I mean, diamonds or rare stamps or whatever uh, do, uh, fulfill a similar function. Um, it's it's malleable, so it can be turned into jewelry, and we look great when we wear it. And that's what we what that's what you see in India. Um, so it has those sorts of qualities, which have uh, and, and never tarnishes. Unlike unlike brass, uh, you don't have to polish it; it always looks the same. I mean, I mean, they're the qualities that the ancients actually recognized 5,000 years ago. And um, those qualities haven't changed. So when, when the going gets tough and people start getting fearful, they rush for gold.
2: Tell us about
1: the Emperor Nero. Um, well, I think you're referring to um, Nero introduced quantitative easing back in around 63 A.D., now, we've, we've heard about quantitative easing in the last 10 years or so, but Nero was really the first. And what he did was, they in those days, they didn't have paper currency. They only had um, solid coins. And so what he did was he started to chip away at the amount of copper and gold that was in the coins. And no one really noticed for quite a while. Eventually, they, they worked it out. And when they worked it out, they weren't very happy. But it, it took about 150 years. And... Um, and in that time, the value of the, the denarius uh, collapsed pretty similarly to the value the, the, to the collapse in the value of, say, the US dollar in the last 100 years. It's very, it's very similar. I've seen some some correlation charts which show the, the similarity, and it's, it's pretty tight. Quantitative easing
2: is printing money, but can you tell us exactly how it works, and can it still continue to work?
1: I used to think quantitative easing was printing money as well, but it's actually not. What it is is the central bank's going into the market to buy bonds. So if you're an investment bank and you've got a billion dollars worth of bonds on your, on your books, the central bank will go in and it will bid up the price of the bond until you sell them the bonds that they want. Now, in exchange for you handing over the bonds, the central bank will give you cash. And the investment bank then looks around and says, well, what am I going to do with this cash? So what they've been doing is they've go- been going out and buying other assets. So they've been buying stocks. Um, they've been buying higher higher risk bonds, corporate bonds, junk bonds. They've been buying property. And that's what's caused this asset inflation that we've seen around the world. And, you know, we all, you know, if we own a home, we think we're geniuses because we're, our value of our home has gone up over the last 10, 20, 30 years. But we're actually not. We're just, it's just a symptom of what central banks have been doing, particularly over the last uh, decade now in Australia they've only just started it, but Americans started it a decade ago during the GFC. The Japanese did it 30 years ago after the collapse of their asset, uh, their their land um, prices values. So that there was the Japanese that really started it, and so it's not. I used to think it was printing money, but it's actually not. It's um, if they if they just printed money, JobKeeper is printing money because JobKeeper is putting in the hands of most of us $3,000 a month and then we go out and we spend on the essentials of life you know food and clothing or whatever and that pushes up the the prices but that's only relatively new before that quantitative easing was pushing up the price of assets now we've kind of got both going on we've got we see asset prices pushing up and I saw one of the banks during the week it might have been Commonwealth Bank was surprised that house prices haven't reacted as badly as they yes. as they as they thought. Well, that's because of this quantitative easing that the banks have been doing or the central banks have been doing. But also, I think you'll also find that inflation will start to creep in because of all this money job keeper and job seeker that has been handed out. And that's what we call it in Australia, but similar uh, policies have been implemented in the U.S. and Europe as well. So it's it's going on all through the Western world. That's going to push up inflation. And we're already seeing that in, in commodity prices, for example, where they're starting to really motor very strongly.
2: This is exactly what Market Wizard Victor Sperandio says too, just for the record. You have said that the gold stars align in 2020.
1: Why is that? Well, well the first one is you've got geopolitical um, stress and, and there's all sorts of different... Um, stress points there. The, the the one that's most obvious is China versus America, China versus India, China versus the world. And the Chinese are definitely exerting a lot of pressure in a lot of different places simultaneously, which I, I think it's a strategic mistake what they're doing, but they're doing it. Um, so you've got that. You've got economic stress, which is, I mean, the the cause of that is the, is the Wu flu that we've got running around the world. Um, but in America, you might have Ten percent of the workforce that's unemployed. It's probably a bit less in Australia, but it's 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 sort of high. And you've also got this monetary stress, which I'm talking about, and it's been ongoing and developing for the last five decades. So it's the it's the combination of those three coming together uh, that's uh, that I think has caused people like Buffett to move towards gold.
2: Why are financial advisors now starting to talk about gold?
1: Well, I, I mean, up until now, Caroline, very few of them have recommended gold, but now they're starting to recognise that the, the problems. I mean, I've been banging on about the problems in America for a decade, and I can tell you, a lot of people in the finance world thought I was either mad or bad or both. They're starting to realise that there is actually a problem, and and for those reasons, they're um they're starting to recommend as a as a sort of a risk averse measure, don't panic, but just put a little bit into gold. (laughs) And
2: I believe, Mike, you are the brand new author of a new book that you've just written. Do you want to tell us quickly about your book?
1: Um, It's called Against the Wind, Caroline, and it's a story about Australia. And it's a story about how we've gone from um, a prison colony where 90% of the people were either convicts, uh, the children of convicts, married to a convict, to one of the greatest nations on earth. And with with one of the highest living standards on earth and so what I've done is I've I've followed my own family's journey who came here in or uh, well, some of them came here in chains and uh, I followed the, that journey through particularly through the 19th century.
2: Thanks Mike Mangan for talking about gold
1: Thanks Caroline
2: and to get a copy of Mike's book against the wind you can email me at Caroline at talkingtrading.com.au. Stay tuned for next week's show because we have trading coach, David Hobart. I'm Caroline Stephen. Take care. Stay safe. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on talking training are generally nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.